You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. I didn't expect that. Hey, guys. <laughs> you look like my dad did in 1985, and I love it. More than mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Someone was like, "What? Why do you have a mustache?" And I was like, "Well, I was shaving, and then I just didn't shave all everything, and then you have a mustache." I've seen you with scruff before, <laughs> but I didn't know you could you could do that. <laughs> I want you to do a little experiment for me now that you have a mustache. So I did this a few times in the last five years, and I noticed. That every time I do this, people treat me differently. Like, I go to the grocery store with my mustache, and, like, the 20-year-old girl treats me like I'm kind of creepy. And then I go do something else, and everybody's, like, a little less nice to me. So I want you to pay attention to that. I think I think it actually is, has been commanding more respect. Yeah. That's what I've noticed. Probably because it's not bright red like mine. <laughs> <laughs> I bet if you took your car in for service, the mechanic would be way less likely to try to dick you around. Yeah, probably. Like, yeah, I can't put anything past this guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Jeez. Well, yeah. How's it going, guys? I'm, uh, I'm stoked to talk to you. Yeah. It's been a while. How long has it been? It was, what, a year and a half ago? It was a while, it feels like. Too long. <sighs> Too long. Too long. Yeah. I was watching you yesterday. Not you, but you. I was watching uh, a rewind. I was watching the uh, the San Jose, I mean, it's not San Jose, San Luis Obispo race. Mm-hmm. Just doing some, starting to do a little scouting on how Abu Dhabi's potentially going to play out. Listen to you doing your homework. I, I, I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I was, yeah. I was running a, a cut down on the treadmill, and I need to watch racing while I run on the treadmill. Otherwise, it's not. I'm not yeah. getting anything productive done. Yeah, it's true. I noticed something that I missed in the coverage the first time. Did you run in the Craft CTM Ultras? Yeah. I think I think you're the first one I've seen to try that in OCR. How did that go? I mean, for that course, they were like the perfect shoe. Um, really? Because they're just, it's kind of like, I guess they've been described as like the gravel bike of shoes. So they're, it's like. That's it's accurate. I haven't heard that though. Super fast, super like responsive, really good, like kind of turnover. And then just with a bit of tread. So for like a course like that, that's like flat without any like technical running. Um it's great yeah huh. now it's they're i think they're like 40 mil in the heel or something big aren't they yeah 36 like 10 maybe drop or something where did yeah. you have any instability on on terrain at all no but i mean that course there's no terrain not even like a ruts it wasn't much really <laughs> not, not there was really, one no. hairpin okay. turn and that's the only time you turned sharper than like 120 degrees <laughs> yeah pretty much were they funky on Z Wall or anything? Mm, no. Wow. No. Yeah, it was fine. Um, I think if it was like wet, maybe then it, on some obstacles it might like come into play. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you take them somewhere like Tahoe? Like how techy? Not that that's techy, but how? Like where is the the line? Where is that gradient end for you? Where where could you take them and where could you not? I think I would take the ones without a carbon plate to Tahoe. Yeah. No no problem. And they they run really similarly. Um yeah, 
it'd be a good shoe for Tahoe, that shoe. Because, yeah, there's not really much at Tahoe. There's, like, that one little rocky mm. bit that they might use once. Or, like, they don't even use it all the time. So. Would you choose them? Or would it, would it just be something you could do? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I probably would, to be honest. Um, really? They're that good? It's kind of funny because, like, we all, like, a lot of people run in, like, the VJ Extremes and stuff. And they're a good OCR shoe. But they kind of run terribly. Like, if you just, like, took that shoe out and tried to run, like, a tempo run on a track or something, like, they, yeah. they're just, like, kind of, there's no response. There's no, like, nice energy return. They're it's, dead. When they hit the ground, yeah. they're dead. Exactly. And that's what you want when it's muddy and yep. super tech. But, it, like, but having that, having a shoe that actually, like, gives you something back, I feel like, for me at least, it makes, uh, it just makes that, like, you know, um, six minute mile pace feel, feel easier. And I don't know. It's probably like partially mental, but I find guys, cause you carry, you carry a little more muscle on you, right? You're a, you're inspiration for some of the muscly boys out there that want to run fast. Right. I feel like that's more, it's, <laughs> well, and I'm kind of the same cause I run like 172 pounds right now, but the more shoe for me, just like that little bit makes like an exponentially bigger difference for my return on investment. Right. When you, when you weigh just a hair more, um, I think it's, yeah. it helps more. Yeah, and it's interesting you mention that because, like, Lindsay and I sometimes, like, compare, like, shoe ideas or choices mm. for courses. And I feel like the way that, you know, a shoe feels for me would be a lot different than the way a shoe would feel for her. Not only because um, I'm, like, you know, 35, 40% heavier, but also just, like, the way we run, um, how much energy we're, like, put through that shoe, things like that. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting thinking how, like, shoes have categories, but, like, within those categories, I feel like depending on your style and like how big you are, um, would change a lot how the shoe actually performs. I've actually been curious about that with you for a long time. And it's funny that you bring up you and Lindsay, because I've always thought that, that she looks like the type that could run in ballet shoes and it'd be fine. Cause you just like <laughs> up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, but you have a very long, kind of like a prancy stride. Right. Yeah. And I've always seen you run ultras in like the extreme or something, even in Spartan games, on a day where speed wasn't really, it didn't seem like it was going to be that important. I would have right. approached it and put the biggest shoe on my foot as possible to not get beat up. Cause I'd have to compete more and you're yeah. just out there in the extreme. And I thought, is he different like that? Or would you actually, and it sounds like, yeah, you actually would change shoes. Sometimes I've always wondered yeah. how you and your stride get away with running long in, in VJs and things like that. Yeah. And it's funny. Like I used to race 50 milers in the, uh, what are they called? The ice bug acceleritas or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like mountainous fifty milers um, and further in those shoes, and like my obviously my feet would be sore at the end, but like I don't know, it's just what I did, and maybe in hindsight it wasn't like the right move, but at the time it was just like, oh, these are what I I'm used to, these are what feel good, and like I think my bone structure is pretty good at like handling. Um, just like abuse i guess because i don't seem to like get a lot of those injuries we talked about something with longer stuff on uh was it it was either on this podcast or race brain i forget i get them confused sort of now but we talked about you not doing much for like ultra on the running scene in recent years like you had done a number of hundred milers you'd done tahoe 24 hours and i was trying and i think i'm either missed something because you've done some long stuff on the bike of course and other things yeah. like that but did we miss something have you done that's right. We had we had voted you the best 
ultra OCR athlete of all time. And someone said, I don't know if he's done one in like five years. <laughs> that was years. me. I was like, I don't think he's done an ultra in like three years. <laughs> did I miss anything or is that true? Uh, I mean, I did the Iditarod this year. Um, I guess. Was that on a bike? Ultra that was a bike, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, during COVID, I guess nothing really went down. And then um, I think for me, just, yeah, like refining like the love for biking and then it's, it becomes even more of a balancing act to like try to like <clears throat> run and compete in ultras and like be fast for OCRs and be fast for cycling. Um, so I guess I was just like, but I am kind of getting that itch to like get back into ultras. But to be honest, like a lot of the ultra stuff just like isn't that inspiring like in in ocr it's just like lap format which is kind of pretty boring and then a lot of like the cool a lot of the races that you can do um end up being just like either insanely hard to get into or just like also like not that exciting like i'd rather go run like a really cool fkt in like the mountains that's like you know breathtaking and like super inspiring than to like yeah yeah, I'm kind of getting that itch again. So maybe um, maybe next year things will change. I've said this two or three times just over the years because it stuck with me, but you probably don't recall the conversation. In Montana, after, back in 2016, I had a talk with you. We were talking after the race, and I we were talking with a few people, and I said, what what would your ideal race be? Because we've been talking that that race really played to certain people, and you would just mm-hmm. run, I think, the North Face. Was it North Face? Yeah, I think so. You done fifty Makes sense. the week before, and we were all devastated by the fact that we thought we were going to get you depleted, and you smashed us anyway. But you, your, your answer was, "What was my? What would? What if I could do any style of OCR race? What would be my best distance?" And you said, "Probably fifty k. No, maybe fifty mile." And yeah. it just stuck with me for years that <laughs> this whole time we keep saying these courses suit Ryan. They suit Ryan. They suit Ryan. They don't suit us. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like. But maybe to him, it feels like he's forced right. to jump in the four by four each week. Yeah, like he's forced to run yeah. something that's way under. And maybe we're lucky that they've only chosen to go to the half marathon distance. But that stuck with me for years. So, <laughs> anyways, I get I get excited anytime I hear an inkling of I want to do an ultra again because <laughs> I think you probably have the least opportunity in the sport to show your best skill set. Even though a lot of right. us like to complain, oh, we don't get short course. Well, there's DECA, there's stadium, there are venues for that in some form, but there's not a lot of big ultra option. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's not only that, but it's like the complaint of not having like a competitive ultra because there are ultras, but like, it's just not a lot of people who yeah. are, um, you know, training full time or like uh, the fastest athletes are going in and like fully racing those ultras because i don't know i guess whatever reason hard to recover from harder to cover cover on tv uh, there's a lot of reasons but i think it's cool so before we move on i do want to know were you blowing smoke that day were you no. just intimidating us or is that <laughs> no. was that a real answer i wondered that's, for like seven that's, years that's a real answer okay <laughs> it probably hasn't changed either <laughs> so just 100 percent of the time racing out of your wheelhouse be a little uncomfortable huh yeah but i mean it's i like doing stuff that's outside of my wheelhouse too like it's 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 like a new challenge like i'm kind of excited for abu dhabi because it's like even more far further out of my wheelhouse so i'm gonna try to like focus on that you know flatter speed kind of thing and um see where it can go down Mm. 
You said that ultras were tough to get into, which they are. They're super gated, like just traditional running ultras. Does Ryan does Ryan Atkins' resume not get you into like in the ultra scene or in like the high level trail running scene in the U.S. or even abroad? Is it like are they still like no, you didn't qualify, Ryan? Like, have you been rejected, Ryan? Have they told you no before? Um, I have not. Well, I think I probably have, but like it was years ago, maybe when I had less of a resume, and then I just like you know, you get a chip on your shoulder and you're like, yeah, screw you guys. But I feel like maybe now, but I, I do, I do think that like a lot of the, like, you know, like a Western States or like a UTMB or something like that. I don't think I could just weasel my way into one of those um, with my sweet mustache. You haven't tried with the mustache. It might take, you never know. might take a goatee or something. We'll see. You lose credibility <laughs> with the goatee. I'm pretty sure. Don't you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> You brought up Abu Dhabi, and this wasn't on the radar for the conversation at all today, but I've wondered about you. Does it bother you that that's your Spartan World Championship? Mm. That of all the years at mountains and putting on pretty spectacular races and and uh, eco-challenge to second place, you know, being one of the, the craziest things we've seen, that your world title, the justification that maybe other people needed and you didn't, comes on a place where it's an outlier event i don't think so i think if anything it makes it more special because uh i've always prided myself at like my ability to like race well and also to like figure stuff out faster than other people and i think that um and then also it it was the first world championship i've ever done where i haven't raced like a like a 24-hour ultra in like the month or so leading up to it um (laughs) so like that and that makes a big difference in terms of just like having that extra little like push and that extra give and the extra training that you can put into it. Um, and I always kind of like push that aside and was like, well, I really want to do world stuff as mother or Spartan ultra worlds or whatever um, the event was. But then this, that year I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to not do those events and focus on this. And so, um, yeah, I think it, I'm like just as proud of it and, I'm also really proud of like all the times I finished second um, at various, Mm -hmm. you know, venues and um, circumstances and things like that. So yeah, no issues there. Does knowing that John Albin is as fast as he is (laughs) sort of make you feel even a little better about the fact that you went out there and smashed him in Abu Dhabi. And then six months later, he's winning large stage world trail races. I feel like the fact that you had a battle to the end, you had a battle. It was a great race to watch. You earned that Mm -hmm. shit. Right. And then to know that even beyond that, John Albin, who is an incredible athlete, has proven that time and time again this year and years past, you went out and actually bet, mm-hmm. beat a field. I feel like it would have been different if you ran away with it and not the contenders showed up, but you you didn't. Like, you had to fight and claw for that, and you beat some really good people. Yeah, totally. And, like, in hindsight, there was, like, this long section where we came across the dune and the sand was super deep, and I had, like, a 45-second gap on John and uh, Sergey, and they just, like, ran in my footsteps and, like, closed down like a pretty significant gap so like there was like tactical things that i definitely like screwed up big big time like a smart move would have been to like sit back and like walk in the footsteps to that point and then make your move at the end or something like that so uh yeah even with that happening and like other things um having john there to like i guess yeah validate the performance is nice i interrupted you bracken 
No, it's all right. I, sh- I shouldn't keep going down this path. That's not what we're going to do Well, today. Well, yeah, we have things we definitely want to get to with you for sure. I want to dive into a couple. Bracken's got a couple. I want to know one thing, though. Well, one sort of – yeah, one thing. Um, you're busy, dude. You're, you're, you're stoke birds are chirping when it comes to training and life in the outdoors, meaning like you're always moving your body, right, um, in some sort of way. Like do you – do you have time for anything else in the sense where like your hobbies include moving your body and being active, right? Like does, does Ryan Atkins do anything outside? I know you do, of course, but like, are there any major things that you're into or spend your time doing that wouldn't, wouldn't involve getting your heart rate up or is it so infused right now that it, it's just what it is? And that's okay. Cause I'm 90% there myself. I'm just curious. I mean, like right now I'm building uh, like a slab table for our kitchen and I really like doing stuff like that. Um, building, designing, creating. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like, I guess, a yeah. passion of mine. Yeah. So you build stuff. Like you like building stuff. <laughs> I also building stuff. I also really like working on my bikes. As <laughs> like weird as that sounds. I find it really cathartic to like go into my like back shed and just like, just clean them really nicely and like, do it like just go and spend way too much time even on all like Lindsay's bikes and stuff so i guess that's like a weird <laughs> hobby in a way i think you're one or the other i just had a conversation <laughs> with two people i work with and we both said i just have no patience for trying to fix my bike <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason i love tech i love shoes i will soul swap shoes all day. <laughs> shoes that i never even intend to work i will rip their soles off and try something new on it yeah but bikes, I don't know. It just doesn't. I like biking, but it doesn't resonate. Bike maintenance doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. And I, when I ever I see you do that, and Hunter told me something years ago. He said, just buy a basic bike maintenance book and learn it. <laughs> I thought, I just don't have that bone in my body. Yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy now. Like bike mechanics, I heard in, in, in Toronto, like some bike mechanics are making like 60 plus thousand dollars a year. So it's definitely yeah. um, a... Uh, profession that's being more valued um because yeah when i used to work as a bike mechanic i think i was earning minimum wage so <laughs> you've honed your craft yeah. since i've honed my craft. are you any good at building stuff or are you like uh oh, yeah. you haven't seen his stuff well no i i kind of have but like for me like i really don't know if i were to build something that i would mess up four times before i got it right right like i <laughs> i would do it i would figure it out but like like, are you hireable? Like, for like table making, for example. Hireable. Yeah. Like, are you? Is this a craft? Yeah, maybe. Idea? Yeah, I like, I like, like, yeah, figuring it out and kind of going down that path. I really wish I had like a bigger garage and workspace. So I think Lindsay and I are going to build like a, a nice big garage next. That's like the next project. So um, that's ours too. Yeah. Uh, that'd be sweet. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're going to get very specific with you with like you know not serious stuff but like pertinent stuff. So I just want to play a little bit. So what? What have you all built? If you think about your house and your yard and all that, what have, what are like some projects you've worked on? Um, I built the sauna in our backyard, um, plus like little house that like kind of houses it. Obviously the slab and all that. I built a rig a couple weeks ago in the backyard. Um, I built out our van, which was like a bit of a project. Um, that's like took a while. I built my mom's van last fall. Um, your mom has a van now? Winter. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. So I like, spent way too much time doing that. but um, And it's nice like doing something the second time because like, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this differently or that. Um, trying to think what else I've built. Yeah. That's enough. I feel like I've seen a lot of things, tables but, from you. Yeah, table, I built like, yeah, a couple of coffee tables and 
and this is the kitchen table now that's going down. So I listen to um, an outdoor podcast, mostly what I listen to uh, in my free time when I'm listening to podcasts. And they had somebody on who was building out vans. They're building out vans for a living now. They built out their own. They realized, like, one, yeah. it's, you can make a living building out vans if you know what you're mm-hmm. doing. And so this regular dude who's 23 is building out vans for people just like you who live out of yeah. and travel. And the dude is yeah. doing very, very well. And I had no idea the cost of these vans and what went into it. It's like a whole career yeah. you could fall back on if you, if you had to. It's like it's a craft, yeah, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And it's fun. You know who's doing that right now? Who? For a living? John Yasko. <laughs> of course he is. Really? <laughs> Started up his That's own awesome. his own uh van building enterprise. All those degrees aren't for nothing. For nothing. No. Nope. <laughs> All right. So Ryan, the reason we, we reached out, I'll recap for the audience, is that you made a post that was very raw right after OCR Worlds. And it was kind of a two-part post. One part was probably more pertinent to the everyman, and the other part was probably more pertinent to people who are trying to perform. And the first part was that you've done everything right in your eyes, or most of it right. Training's going well. You're hitting metrics. You had posted that you'd hit some climbs at the best you'd hit, but you're not tapping into that full potential on race day. And then the other half was that no matter how much you love sport, when it goes wrong, it's really hard to love it the same way in that moment. It mm. kind of dulls everything. I think right. you said like the texture and the flavor, everything's dull. Yeah. It's almost like you're sick and you can't taste anything. And so I think that second part's important and maybe we get to that. But what I really was intrigued by as someone who likes the the number side of sport is that concept of hitting training, maybe I've done in the past, hitting metrics in routes and workouts that I've hit and not getting the result that should be proven off of what I've put in. Right. And A, I was really glad you posted that. But B, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So, like, obviously, it's easy to say that and to, like, be, you know, whatever put out by it. But obviously, as, like, an analytical person, my, like, next step after, like, (laughs) accepting those things Mm -hmm. is, like, okay, so why? Like, why? And I think, like, the... The thing that there's a few different like explanations, but I think one of them is like the in, intangible like excitement and almost like freshness of like coming into a race and like really wanting to push and having that like extra gear. And I think that maybe that changes as you become older and you have like um, Ryan Kent reached out to me and he was like, you need to take more rest before your races and things like that. And so like, maybe that's one thing. I think that it could have just been like a long season catching up to me and me trying to switch from like bike racing straight into like, um, OCR at like a high level, both and not really taking like a reset or like doing a proper build, just being like, all right, now I'm going to start just hitting tons of run intensity and see like how fast I can get running in the shortest amount of time. So I think there's like a lot of um, kind of explanations going on there, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just like having that, um, I guess like, yeah, like that fire within and that, um, that freshness, but also it's like endurance is so much like 
to the ability to endure. And I think that like, we forget about that. We're, not, we're all about like chasing like these two minute intervals, three minute intervals, YouTube max, you know, threshold, blah, 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 where you're going hard, you're resting, you're going hard, you're resting. And I think what escaped me in my like approach to it was my lack of like, just going out and running like moderately hard for two, two and a half, three hours, things like that, that like, I guess, <laughs> or like, or like doing intervals that are like 10 minutes and then just like super short, like a 30 second rest and like straight back into it. Things like that, where it's like, you're not hitting it as hard as a top end, but you're like, you're maintaining that output. You're not letting your body like recover. Cause when you're racing, you're never like stopping. You're never like, okay, pause, everybody stop. We're going to like take, you know, the two minute recovery, just walk. And then we're going to go again. Like it's, it's, you're going hard for two hours or whatever it is. And I think that I hadn't um, trained that. And I think almost cycling was like detrimental to that because cycling is a lot more on and off than running. And so like you do these climbs that are like so hard, like so much harder than you can go on running. And then you go over the climb and you inevitably coast for like 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and then you're in a pack and it's flat. So you're like moving around, maybe you're attacking. It's a lot more tactical. Whereas like running is just like, all right, go, what do you have? Like, what's up? And um, I think that like cycling built that like top end and that ability to like go beyond for me up. But then it also like reduced that just like steady state staying power. And then that was being revealed in racing which i think was really frustrating to me because it was like you know good workout good workout like feeling good and also like so much less volume i'm like well if i train 20 25 hours a week on the bike i should be able to do like you know 12 or 14 hours running but it's like it hits you so differently than when you're biking um i guess it's just that like eccentric loading and the impact and like all these things so then it was like oh you know okay well like i can only <laughs> I can only train, you know, seven or eight hours running and then, you know, a couple three hour bike rides on top of that as like recovery. And, uh, and that's kind of like, I guess like I had to relearn that lesson. So I guess that's like the nitty gritty, like breakdown of like how it impacted me and like, yeah, the frustration of it all. It's interesting. I tried to play the, if I'm Ryan, what did I discover game? <laughs> and the last thing you want to hear is someone saying, you know what you should have done? Cause right. no one yeah, knows yeah. what you should have done. Yeah. But I was trying to think, what is it? And the first thing I thought of is if I had just been doing a massive bike block, my engine's still good. Yeah. And then I come down yeah. and I can't handle the volume of running, but I have to get sharp. I'm going to sharpen with some quicker stuff. Yeah. And your stride has been there for years and your engine's there and it's paired with speed and you can probably rock a few workouts, but can you just go out and hold for two or three hours? Those are the workouts that can't be physically present in your training. Right. So yeah. you've bounced in the past before. Mm -hmm. You've done both at a pretty high level. And obviously you went a little more into biking this year, but do you think there was anything else that led to this block? Maybe the block before the block that was different from years past? Because we've seen you and maybe you're a victim of your own success. We always right. say, like, I think this is the last time I doubt Ryan because yeah, yeah. the training wasn't set up and then he came out and won. So yeah. I forget it. And then finally, it, like, it wasn't quite as high level as you were used to being able to just wing it. 
Was there anything else other than maybe that missing stain power piece? I don't know. It's really hard to like pinpoint it, but like I do think that that like staying power and then just like specifically run volume were like the biggest um, kind of pieces missing for me. And like when I was biking, I was still running, but I would run like two times a week, you know, and like not, you know, like whatever, do like an hour, hour and a half or do a workout, something like that. Nothing crazy because yeah, I was biking a lot and racing a lot. And like, that was my focus and it was awesome. And like, I don't regret anything. So (laughs) you gave us a a lot of good stuff to unpack with your first explanation, by the way, I have like 12 webs. I want to take off of some of what you had said. (laughs) Really? No, that was because actually I saw things just with your explanation there. I saw things perfectly through your eyes. Like I totally, I think I would have taken the same path and ended up with the same damn result. I think it would have been the the same thing. So like, I understand it. One, I just find like Ryan Atkins is still learning. Who would have thought, you know, like (laughs) somebody at the top, like is still learning and that's very humanizing. That's like fantastic for us to hear. I think that's, that's good. Like we don't always all have it figured out, right? Like we're still learning. And then the other thing that's been really a hot topic for us, I'm 39 about to be 40 Bracken's old now um, is is these like we talked a lot about these longer intervals and the threshold work and I, I have the best fitness I've had in two decades and I'm 39 and it's all because I've translated to the exact stuff you talked about that you might have needed more of um, mm-hmm. and then the Ryan Kent sentiment about hey man you should maybe think about recovering more before you're racing because you're how old now Ryan 34 35 yeah. somewhere in there has any of that played yeah. into so like the age thing so I started to notice decreased recovery right about about then i was like i couldn't get away with quite as much i didn't realize it in the moment uh it took me a year or two to figure it out now i'm more dialed in i can show up and predict my effort because i have to rest more beforehand but is that any of that factored in for you with this like i mean you're still very young at 34 or 5 but um that whole like approaching things differently as you mature and trusting that money has been put in the bank for years and it's still there is like any of that part of your mindset in regards to any of this right now yeah yeah i think so well like just your first point of like learning. I think that's like the biggest takeaway is like, um, I don't think we're ever done learning in like anything. And as soon as you think you're, you know, like the people who are the most, are the biggest idiots and the most ignorant are the people who like think they know everything. Um, like mm-hmm. I remembered like meeting someone and like talking to them about whatever, like it was like physics or something. And we were talking about the universe and all these theories and stuff. And like, I was like, kind of going off of like what I thought and believed and stuff. And then like, I found out afterwards that he's like, that's literally all he does. He like just lives in a cabin in the woods and he's like a professor and he just gets paid to think about the universe. So it was like the, one of these people that's just like off the chart, like smart. And he was just like asking me questions because he like, like literally probably one of the smartest guys in the world. And he's just like the most curious. And that like really hit home about like just people and and then you talk to someone who like comes out as like a self-professed expert in something in a field and they're probably the least knowledgeable person um the person who just keeps telling you and shoving it down your throat what they think what they believe instead of the person who's asking you and wanting to hear your opinion and wanting to understand your different point of views and i think um yeah this whole thing's been like you know just a cementing of that idea that like we definitely don't know everything and things change things change with age things change with training with different modalities even with like 
you know, maybe I freaking something happened in my diet, or maybe like there was like who knows? Humans are such complex <laughs> organisms that <laughs> it's like so hard to like pinpoint the one thing down. Um, I mean, they shave themselves into a mustache for no reason. They're certainly complex. Insane, yeah. Like what was going I on? I mean, talk about <laughs> messed up mental processes. I, what you said just really struck a chord with me, Ryan. And Bracken, I hope you share the sentiment. Um, I have done more growing as an athlete in the last two and a half years since we started this podcast because we ask the questions. We're not telling people. I mean, of course, we have our training Tuesdays and we can stand on our soapboxes then. But I've learned more by interviewing people and asking the questions, I think, than telling people mm -hmm. the answers. And that's just a really interesting point you just made. Do you agree with that, Bracken? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ryan, I keep a little notebook right here. <laughs> and uh, your episode, Lindsay's, John's, Mark Botris actually had a lot of golden nuggets mm. in his. I get done in like, I don't know, like maybe 40% of what I'm doing now came directly from <laughs> being like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I had no clue. But yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's funny. I actually think like the best athletes are like the worst coaches if that makes sense because like they have so much natural talent that they like have never needed to like figure out where do i find that percent how do i get that how do i like take that inside line they're just like oh well i i have i'm five like if you're john alban he's like i'm five percent fitter than everybody here so i can just outrun you it's like no big deal Whereas, what are you like, saying about his coaching ryan <laughs> I, I don't know about his john, I just, john admitted that though <laughs> Yeah, it's just admitted like for years he didn't know what or why he just yeah. ran and his wife was the the brains yeah. behind the operation now. Yeah, and I'll talk to like World Cup mountain bikers and I'll be like explaining they'll be, I'll be like explaining to them fueling like like best mountain bikers in the world and they're like oh like when should I be eating or like how should I be doing this and stuff like that and I'm like how do you not know this like oh my god but um yeah it's just like it's crazy if you have like <laughs> if you have a good heart uh, hand of cards, you're not really that concerned about how you're going to play them. Yeah. So then with this, I I don't want to get like too dour on you or down, but this is this is the first blip I've from the outside. I know you you will deal with things behind closed doors. I'm sure there have been injuries and things along the way that no one has any idea about. But from the outside, from things you've talked about. We heard about that blood infection you had mm -hmm. and this. These have been really your two biggest, not that this is a big deal, but this has been your season where you had probably the most OCR races that didn't go according to how you'd expect them to. Mm -hmm. So you've had that and you've had this, and I know you learned from that one, but the greatest in any sport are generally the ones that don't have a chunk of their career missing. Mm -hmm. you no, know, the ship sailed for Kirk and I, both talent level wise and missing <laughs> chunks of time. Like that's gone. But you look at the Eliud Kachogis, or you look at uh, Usain Bolt. You had um, right anyone who's who's considered maybe the greatest in theirs. Just had years and years and years where they didn't miss a chunk ever, because once you cross twenty two, maybe twenty five, somewhere in there, you've lost the ability to lose a year or two. Right. And still yeah. get but usually, I mean, some people are freaks and they can do it, but did this give you any bit of trying to see around a corner 
to say, all right, I've always done things according to a certain set of rules that my body played by. And the rules seem to have changed slightly this year. What do I have to do so I never miss a big chunk? It's really interesting that you kind of phrase it that way, because I think I've actually spent my entire career with that, with that like mindset of like seeing around the corner of like always pivoting and switching and experimenting. And so I guess this isn't that big of a departure from that. And it's always just been like, I don't know, I've always been interested and curious in other things, whether it's ultras or going after FKTs or cycling or things like that or um, or whatever it may be. And so like, um, like I remember one year I took a big fall rock climbing and bruised my heel and then I like, I couldn't run at um, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, because I had like, <laughs> I couldn't walk. Um, so like, yeah, you know, shit happens, I guess. Uh, but I'm actually like pretty proud of my season. I was like, in like, maybe May or June, I was like, I remember like, reflecting on it. And I was like, I've won in the last like, I was like, in the last six months, I had won like Spartan World Champs, I had won the Adidas Rod, I had won um like three schema races i had won like three mm-hmm. or four like high level zwift races i had won mountain bike nationals i had won like and then i won big bear and then i'm like i was like fuck i've won like all these different things across different sports at like the highest level and i was like pretty psyched and so i don't know if i was just on such a peak that i just like eventually had to like come off um that could have been also part of it but i was also like i'm like not upset about my season in any any way shape or form i guess it's just like the way it turned out (laughs) well it's so easy like such a biased listenership and lens we're looking at this from right because we go oh let's look at the u.s national series finishes and let's (laughs) decide how ryan atkins is doing off of that and people forget that like your passions are far beyond just spartan racing and now you just listed right. those off. And I saw all of them pop up on your social media and they never resonated with me quite as they should have, as if it were like a big bear win or something like that. Right. And I think people right. often forget like Ryan Atkins is a many trick mm. pony. You're not trying to be master of one. Right. And I, I believe that's right. part of yeah. what makes you great. And so I just, it's a good reminder. Did you remember all that stuff, Bracken? No, no. <laughs> really. Sports are, what have you done for me lately? That's unfortunately. So true. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't approach this. I want to be clear. I'm not approaching this from you're having a disappointing season. Mm-hmm. It's you express disappointment and we rarely yeah. see, get to see that out of you. <laughs> totally. And I think that's, I don't know. I think that it's important to be like humble and to be vulnerable. And I think that that's like, I guess, um, what was happening there. And I was disappointed because I like, I, I honestly, if I had not had those good workouts leading up to the OCR worlds or whatever, and I had just been like, whatever, like day two of Kelowna, I felt like unstoppable. Like I was like running away from Ryland on all the climbs and the descents and just like having fun. Just like, this is sick. This is amazing. And then I like took that momentum into training and I was like hitting benchmarks and like PRs all over the place. And I was like, honestly rocked up at OCRWC with so much confidence. I was like, I should be able to win both races, like pretty good chance. Like, you know, like just like quiet confidence. And then it was just like, Oh, Nope. Like the rug pulled out. So I think that was like a bigger thing. Cause if I had just come up and finished third and second at OCRWC, I would have been like, 
cool if I had had shitty training leading up to it. But it's like that, it's like that glimmer of hope. And like, as an athlete, you're like, you get, you start like frothing at the, at the mouth. You're like, oh, I so, like, this is like, uh, you know, awesome. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like the perspective that set it all off. So if you had the scales of justice sitting right here and on one side is Ryan Atkins has holes in his fitness. And on this side is the sport is better than it's ever been. And people were really fresh and really hungry. Which one is it? Because we've seen you have holes in fitness from pursuing other things before. And we've seen young, fresh, hungry people. Which one do you think is leading the way right now? Or is it just a mixture of both that you can't get away with quite so many gaps with the current sport? I don't have the data points to assess like exactly how competitive it is now compared to how competitive it was five years ago. You know ago. what? I know you're a data person. I'm going to interrupt you, but I also think that you could just be the litmus test for the sport because you've <laughs> raced everyone that ever existed. Yeah. And so that, that feeling on course, you can feel someone. Yeah. Does it feel better than it's ever been or is it just new and hyped up right now? Uh, if I had just raced Saturday, Friday and Saturday at OCRWC, I would have said it's just new and hyped up. But the team race on Sunday... Freaking Tyler Veerman, like, I just don't even understand. <laughs> like, he was moving so fast, and I was, like, absolutely pinned. And, like, the first 100 meters of the race, 200 meters of the race, it's, like, you know, a 7 or 8% grade. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, I'm just going to blast this whole thing. It's 10 minutes long, whatever. I can go as hard as I possibly can. And I was, like... I can't run that fast. I, he was, I don't know how fast he was running, but it was insane up this like 200 meter thing. Um, he was probably running, you know, five something pace up like 10% grade um, at the start of the race. And I was just like, I don't have the power to like, don't do that. Even for a minute, like I cannot do that. Even for 30 seconds, I cannot do that. And I was just like, holy shit. Um, so that was like definitely eye opening. And I don't know if that, if it, like, I've never been really good at super short, high power output stuff, but I was like a little bit blown away. So it could be a factor of that, of just like, yeah, having new blood that's like pretty rock star. Um, It could be holes in the fitness. It could be, like you said, a bit of both. It could, I don't know, off days. This was a a topic I wanted to get to later, but you kind of opened the door already, Bracken. So as you mentioned, Bracken, you have been at the top end of this sport longer than anybody. I would say longer than Hobie now, too, longer, right? Anybody. I would say Ryan Atkins, yeah. top of the sport, always on the podium, longer than anybody I can think of other than your wife, right? Am I missing anybody here? No. He was first. You were first. So, right. Okay, so you, you've you been at the top longer. If you count death race. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have the most perspective out of absolutely anybody of what the top end of the field feels like. And you kind of answered my question already, but... If you had to listen to your gut, if you had to give us an answer and you had to talk about the ebb and flow and the density of like the top five to 10 athletes in, in sport, let's just talk OCR because that's what we're, we're just honed in on. Um, if you had to walk us through a timeline of like the best top contenders, um, where would now fall? Where would like, how do you rank like the overall cumulative ability of the top end guys where do you where do you rank the years is it possible you're the only one who's been there man you're the only one who can answer this question 
I think there's been slight ebbs and flows, but like when you have whatever, 20, 30 gifted people all putting their time and effort into the same thing, like you end up with a pretty high level. And I think we have had a pretty high, like a very high level for, you know, the last 10 years. And I wouldn't say like, there are like outliers in performance for sure, where like people have like been especially peaked or like hit their training just right. Or like um, whatever, been like young and super motivated and had like outliers where they've had stretches of a few, of a few months where they've been like above that kind of mm. <laughs> status quo sign curve. Mm. But um, I think overall, I think it's, it's probably very similar over the years. I think we love to like be like new blood, more competitive than ever. We do like depth of field, I think has, has been one thing that's changed. Mm. Um, uh, but like, I'd say like the top three to five guys, it's always been pretty, pretty consistent. Okay. Looking back and looking at today, if you were like at my best fitness, like if I show up and I have a good day and my fitness is there and I've been training well and I'm healthy, um, I will win this race. I assume your mindset is that often when you go into races, is there anybody out there now or in the past where you were like, if I go and nail this race, I still may not win. If you go out there and give a Ryan Atkins race that you know you're capable of, is there anybody out there now or in the past where you were like, I cannot or I may not beat them on my best day? Or do you still believe on your best day? It does not matter who's at the start line. No, oh, yeah, I believe. I mean, every race I've ever like gone to the front of the start line, I've always like always lined up with like the belief yeah. of being able to win. And that's in like any discipline, any sport. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just how I race, I guess. Okay. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah. That's very powerful. <laughs> and it's funny because you've talked about some of those. You didn't say names, but there have been people who've had some peaks, who have done some things where the whole world gets lit on fire and they say, this is the new guy. Yeah. And oftentimes that is their peak. And you don't right. see another race or you'll see one per season. And I think that's kind of the definition of, of God-given talent is that you can pop something crazy high. But then that that ability to do it over and over and over is a different type of talent that's kind right. of undefinable. But of those crazy peaks, who have you seen? This isn't the point of the episode no. at all, but who have you <laughs> seen that has the ability to pop the craziest OCR races? Uh, well, I think the craziest was just Cody Moat when he won Spartan Worlds. I think mm -hmm. that was like the, the biggest outlier of like dominance when he just like was yeah he just ran that whole mountain like three minutes faster than anybody else the second one like on an uphill on like a 15 minute uphill like that's crazy <laughs> so how i guess it was less about who's the greatest but <laughs> seeing that knowing that you're, you you kind of just always show up it doesn't matter if it's seattle and it's muddy and nasty or if it's seattle and flat and dry or if it's tahoe warm or tahoe sleeting or if it's Killington, or if it's Palmerton, or if it's OCR Worlds, or if it's Jacksonville, when you just move to a ski hill and spend all winter and Jacksonville's <laughs> flat. And, it doesn't matter what the course is. You always seem to just be there. So knowing right. that you're the guy who's always there, but someone else might be just hitting a high that day, what is that thing that has kept you not fearing that 
that high fire performance when Ryling comes on and smashes Kelowna or Cody smashes Breckenridge and 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 Tahoe and Tyler comes out and does what he does at OCR Worlds or Yatsko goes on his tear or you know whoever it is throughout the years who has gone on tears and then come back down and then a week later you beat them what is that piece of you um I think it's just like how I think about like racing and performance and it's uh like i guess like we said earlier i approach it like with a curiosity and like an experiment kind of thing but i also i guess i'm just like curious to see like what i can do that day and i'm never i'm never like that stressed out about it or like that intent on actually winning i'm just like i believe i can and i'm like I'm going to give everything I have, no matter like how I prepare or how I come into it. And I'm also going to mm-hmm. race like as smartly <laughs> as intelligently as possible <laughs> and <weird>. stuff <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and stuff like that. And then just like, um, yeah, just go out and like push it. I think a lot of people put so much, like if you've really prepared for a race, you put so much importance on it. It's like, it's like grasping, jello like you're like you're like i want to hold like but like the harder you squeeze mm. the, the less jello you have write that down bracken it's going in there you want to like hold the jello and like kind of gently <laughs> but you want to like it's like a certain way of holding it and that's like i guess that's kind of like the mentality of like holding on to that like motivation and that um like desire and that self-belief um coming into a race you're like holding it but you're not crushing it because otherwise yeah um it'll just be gone that shouldn't make any sense but it does it's like, for some reason hold it lightly yeah. <laughs> no it's perfect yeah. that's a great analogy <laughs> and i saw that ryan the first time i ever saw you i believe it was the first time i ever saw you was at maybe it was the second time i saw you but was at killington in 2014 probably the second time i probably did was extreme nation prior to that mm-hmm I think so. So the second time I saw you was at the pre-race briefing slash press conference before Killington and everyone was there and everyone was already seated and you walked in having been talking to someone else. I don't, you probably, again, don't remember this. These are the interaction that stuck with me <laughs> through the years and you walked in in flip flops with, with sweatpants rolled up to your knees and everyone else is in there like either their country kits or their fake sponsor gear or whatever, trying to look the part. And you strolled in with your sweatpants rolled up to your calves, your knees, and you looked like you didn't have a care in the world. And it was like 14 hours before we were going to take off. Mm -hmm. And I looked at you and thought, he either has no clue what he's getting into (laughs) or everyone's in trouble tomorrow. (laughs) And it turned out we were in trouble the next day. But that that holding the jello, you were seriously there. You were fit, but... Mm -hmm. So most people nail their big workouts when they've been building and then give away their race. Right. Because they yeah. didn't care about expectations of the outsiders on their big race. But you, you've you been able to do that. And so through the years I've gone through this, I was jealous of you for a while. And then I was I wanted to to beat you for a while. And I wanted to be you for a while. And then was able to finally like healthily just sit back and appreciate what you've done. But one of the constants throughout the whole time was I've been in probably close to awe at the, at your ability to peg it 
no matter what. And you talked about it in your last answer. I know I'm going to give it my all no matter what. And that's kind of a cliche line, but we were talking about it after the last race coverage, last two race coverages, and on a couple of our podcasts that you are the closer of OCR. We've seen other people who close races. Kempson closed last year to win. And he couldn't hold you off at OCR Worlds on a day mm-hmm. you weren't having your best day. And in Kelowna, you were closing. Races we've seen you close and crush people, you wouldn't know looking at it what place you were in. And I don't know anyone else in the sport. And this isn't hyperbole. I don't know anyone else in the sport who closes like they're in second trying to catch first, whether they're in first or I don't think we see you eighth very often, but first or eighth, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's been the one piece that I just never ever seen anyone that can learn has that been you your whole life is that a point of emphasis or is that something that like you're so joyful or curious on course that it doesn't matter what place and pain you're in what what is that piece for you uh i think it's like because <laughs> most people can close when they're in the hunt right yeah i think it's like you're racing and then it's like you're having like a good time and then you can like it's almost like you get to a point where you're like you can taste the finish line and usually that's like three, four, five, like three, four, five kilometers from the end. And you're just like, it's just like, um, how, how hard can I push now to the end? Like, what can I do to like get that next guy? How, how deep can I go at this point? And it's just like, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's just like really fun to do that. And uh, yeah. (laughs) How much of that requires your engine to not be on empty with three four or five k to go or do you think that no matter how smashed you've been you can still crank up another year yeah i think i can still kind of yeah get there so for the for the people listening myself included i i'm only tough when i'm in a race i know that about myself that's that's not debatable i accept that and most people are that way you'll see them jog eight minute mile pace in a local 5k and sprint the last hundred if there's someone to catch even though they couldn't run a step faster the previous mile (laughs) so are most people missing out on untapped potential to close out races simply because their mental rev limiter is on once their PR is gone or once the, the, person once the motivation them? is gone? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a huge part of it. So how much of that closing pain is fake then? How much of the closing pain is fake? Yeah, in closing stages of races where you just know I'm dead, there's nothing left. How much of that is just fake, is false? I think a lot of it, yeah. Like it's like when you finish a race or like I guess I get it in training sometimes and I like that feeling sometimes when it's like you push so hard that like you basically just fall over and um and you start like rolling around and like your whole upper body is like numb and your lower body and like that's kind of like a good I guess for me that's like a good test of like if you're actually like there you're like have i given everything (laughs) if you go numb (laughs) if you're not beached octopus you're not there yeah yeah i guess so and it's like maybe it's from like racing ultras where like you are in that zone for like like i've done like 50 milers where i've been in that place for like two hours where you're just like like you're just like i can't like i'm just dying and i can't go it's obviously like a different than like a two-hour race sprint but um Maybe it's just becoming more comfortable with that that place and then being able to go there. That finishing thing is like like you sort of get not numb to the pain you're in, but 
we talk about this sometimes bracken with finishing workouts it's like i know this hurts and and i know i can't sustain how this feels i either need to sink my teeth more and make this hurt even more or i need to back off but i can't sit right here like i need to <laughs> you know what i mean like i need to like put salt in this wound yeah. because what i'm doing right now is unsustainable but maybe a notch higher is exactly what it needs to wake me back up do you ever experience that right sort of feeling yeah 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 i know what you mean. okay yeah <laughs> that that's relatable yeah 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 that was track right when the 600 meters to go i can't run a step more at this pace but if we need to kick we could kick mm-hmm. right. but i couldn't hold this that yeah. makes sense it doesn't make sense to me from 5k <laughs> out but, but at least the mindset makes sense yeah um, something I, uh, was curious about is I'm going to use myself as an example. I was an all American, my freshman year of college division three. So I'll put an asterisk by it in the 1500 meters. And I thought, well, I was eighth at nationals as a freshman. Like the world is my oyster. I'm going to be national champ by my junior year. And then I'm going to be one of the, you know, the most successful people, uh, in the history of my school or whatever. Right. Well, that ended up being my pinnacle, Ryan. I never finished better than eighth, but the prospect of being dominant for years was so exciting. You come into the sport, you rise to dominance against some of the best, and the world is your oyster. Your mind starts going like, I'm going to, Christ, I'm going to be walking in the park after the first few years. I'm going to win everything because that's the trajectory of sport. And you realize the more honed in you get, the smaller your incremental gains become and all of that. And so my question here is, then you have frickin' Robert Killian come in. Then it's like, are you kidding me? Tyler Veerman's popping right now. And then you're like, it's either Ryland Shattig or Hawk Call or it's one, Johnny Luna Lima. Like, come on. <laughs> like, my trajectory, I should be light years beyond any of these guys because the promise was so big. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's like damn it, is it always somebody? And the answer is yes, it's always going to be somebody. But like, how do you handle that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's like, you're the only guy who takes the punches consistently. Like, the only guy who still comes back into the top. Always coming back to the top. And you'll find your way. You're probably going to win this weekend. But point being is, like, what does that feel like? I drafted you, yeah, we, Yeah, you're on our team. So, anyways. Sweet. Yeah, but, like, what what the heck, man? What do you, what do you make of that? Like, always people just there. What do you think about that? I think it's like, I think like you, I think you, people have like a peak of how fit you can get as a person. And like, once you get there, it's kind of like, you can do things to kind of like, you know, do a little bit higher, or like get a little bit better and stuff, but, um, or like hone your craft or get a little faster on obstacles, things like that. And I've always been like, kind of, I think I've been at that like endurance peak for like 10 years from like, from like a aerobic standpoint. Um, and so it's like, I don't know. It's like, once you have, once you're like, okay, all I can ever have is 400 horsepower. So like now what am I going to do to like improve that? And then someone comes along who has 450 horsepower, but they don't have the tires or whatever. It's like, it's kind of just like, it's like well it is what it is and like here we go and and that's again like where like the excitement and the learning of like how can i use what i have in order to like keep doing what i've been doing or to like do even better 
and then there's people who come out and are you know very good athletes who like are right there and stuff and competing so i wouldn't say it's like frustrating or anything that there's like different athletes coming into the sport who are you know beating me or better than me or um you know all these all these different people i think it's just like i think it's cool i think it's like great that like there's competition in the sport and i think that like Lindsay suffers from it uh from the other's perspective where like there isn't competition in her sport and she's like she's like i'm super i'm so bored of spartan like the courses are boring there's like no one to race with like she's like i just don't care and um it's better the way you have for it, me it's I like suppose. <laughs> yeah exactly it's like more exp- well you excited. start listing out the guys there's like nine dudes that have beaten you in the last two or three years and you think but you're always the one who's like doesn't matter what course it is you're gonna you're always the cream right you always are in the top aside from major outliers and all those other guys filter between one and 15 sometimes. So I just, I I didn't know if you had a sentiment in regards to that, because sometimes you just want to throw your hands in the air and be like, I'm doing everything right. I'm fit AF. (laughs) And here comes VJ Jones out of nowhere, Mark Botris. You're like, where? Right? Like it's, it's, it's just like, it's like the whole world's working against you. It it might feel like sometimes, you know what I mean? From the outside, I can see how it would feel that way. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about maybe you're not as fiery for a course as you used to be. And again, we brought his name up a few times, but I like Rylan is the definition of a young buck. He's just <laughs> really, really chomping at the bit to just yeah. bump into everybody. Right. He really he <laughs> wants it all right now. Yeah. And he's He's idealistic and he's fit and he's strong and he is seeing every course for the first or second time and every championship is it's like it's the greatest moment of his life so far in sport because right. he's young. Yeah. And you haven't been in that place for a decade. Right. So and I think this is this is relatable to the every person because like their PR dreams may have sailed twenty years ago. So with that, and, and I, I've felt these at courses, you've raced them seven times. Do I really get up for this same thing again? Do you have a trick for that? Like, do you have a process? Do you have to focus on something else or is, is race fatigue just unavoidable? I think it's, uh, it's definitely a skill to find things that keep motivating you. Um, as like, like you say, as things stagnate and as things stay the same and are maybe less inspiring than going somewhere cool and new or, um, you know, having different obstacles mm-hmm. or different styles of racing. So I think that, uh, it's a skill to like, to find that thing. And it's no, it's no like simple answer. It's not like you can just say like, Oh, I'm, I want to beat that person or I want to, mm-hmm. you know, do the second half of the course better than I've ever done. Or I want to X, Y, Z. It's like, it's like asking yourself those hard questions and finding what is that? What is it? And I always try to find like, yeah, like a, a question that I want to answer like during the race, like, like, you know, it could be like, why am I here? What is motivating me? Or like, how, um, how do I want to, what do I want my legacy to look like? Or, or like whatever, it could be like a million different things. It could be like something like, how do I want my kids to see me? Um, you know during the race do i want them to see me like overcome obstacles or do i want them to see me like having a breakdown at mile three because like i lift the bell on z wall or things like that Mm -hmm. so it's like i think it's a very personal question and a very personal thing to like find that motivation um and that 
I guess, like mantra that speaks to you for each race. But yeah, that's kind of how I do it. Do you always internalize it? Or do you look at it and say, so-and-so said they're the best descender. I am going to win the descent. Or so-and-so outclimbed me. I'm going to climb one step them all day. Or, or is it always like... No, it's, it's, always been, it's always been internal for me. Yeah. It's the only sustainable way. Yeah. But it's not a skill most people could have. <laughs> yeah. And not, I, don't, I don't like get a lot of satisfaction out of like trying to like beat specific people or like trying to like hold people down, I guess. It's just like, I don't know. I don't go down that path. Does it bother you or does it just make you laugh and shrug when other people in the sport use you for that purpose? Oh, I mean, it's probably like a compliment. Okay. If anything. So <laughs> has your just multi-sport passion, has that been part of the way to refresh a race? I think it's like perspective more. It's just like, what is at the end of the day, it's just like, we're running around with our shirts off in mud. So it's like, nothing really matters. So like, I'm going to try as hard as I can, but it just doesn't matter. So whatever. <laughs> but you're not disappearing into, into the mountains to refresh OCR. Or I'm going to bike for a while until I get the itch for OCR. It's just truly following the whims. Yeah. Hmm. I think so. You um you mentioned something early when we started talking. And this actually follows up an episode that Bracken and I did sort of about pacing yourself, which isn't mean pacing yourself in like the what kilometer per mile am I, or kilometer pace am I running or any of that. It has to do with pacing yourself in life in relation to racing. Like pacing yourself so you can endure year after year and still have room in your bucket to push. And you alluded towards the fact that like Hey, I, you know, maybe I showed up to OCR Worlds or Kelowna and I just didn't have the mental edge that I wanted because I was still a little maybe compromised, like mentally. We're not even talking physically. We're talking like mentally capable of pushing because you had pushed so hard previously. You hadn't recharged that battery yet, we'll call it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to, to ask a couple of questions about that because I think that, and I know you know this, it's how, how big a, uh, of a part of sport is that? It may be bigger than the physical piece, right? It's like the ability to access everything you're potentially capable of that day. Like how important do you mm -hmm. think it is, like the mental recharge, like if you push hard this weekend, how much it affects next weekend? Like where does the the lump sum of mental exertion factor into your ability to perform over race after race after race. I think it's like a really complicated thing for me and probably for a lot of other people, because sometimes you'll do a race and it'll go well and it'll like charge you up and you'll actually be like more motivated the mm -hmm. next weekend. And other times you'll like do a race and it'll like take a lot out of you. Um, I think that could be like not only, based on like your human of fatigue coming into it and like what your like um, training load is as like when you get into that first race, but it can also be like course dependent. I think that like some courses just beat the shit out of you more than other courses, like physically and mentally. And um, there's kind of like this, like, I guess I call it like the come to Jesus moment in like a race where like you have to like, uh, like just like look inside yourself and like ask yourself like why am I doing this kind of thing and like to me like that's the biggest thing that's like missing from Spartan in the last five years because like they just don't like the courses just don't have that anymore it used to be like 
these savage double sandbags or like whatever it was um, where you just like, honestly, this is miserable. And then you have to push through it and find the other side. And so I think that like having those moments in races are like kind of what essentially like uh, tires you out from like um, ability to like race again and again and have that like um, residual stoke going forward. But like, yeah, it's just like also, it's just like a life stress thing too, because like if you're getting stressed out from work or you're getting stressed out from um, a friendship or whatever, and then you're getting anxiety from your races and you're not sleeping well, then it's like, there's a huge mental component to it. That's like outside of our training and our, um, yeah, our like the physical impact that affects people massively. And if you're just like super psyched on life and you're really excited to race and you're really excited to, go camping and this and that, then you can actually like do a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. and actually like, maybe, maybe it'll be like actually better for you, um, in the short term. But I do think like, it's kind of like a big bathtub and like every time you like race, you're like taking a bunch of water out and then like, you have, you do things that like put water back in, like, I don't know, getting a massage or like mm-hmm. hanging out with friends or like seeing family or going for a, walk in the park or seeing your dog things that like fill your bucket back up and so i think it's like this balance um and like yeah maybe for some people racing can like fill that up for a while but i guess eventually like if you just keep pushing and pushing that 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 bathtub empties out and then you're kind of like and then that's how i see like overreaching and overtraining kind of come into play you might need to go listen to our episode because i referred to it as a bucket of f-words a bucket of I can't say because I got a couple <laughs> messages about it today, Brack, and tell me they appreciated. I guess. Did you today? Yeah, appreciating I wasn't swearing because I was calling it your bucket of f words repeatedly. Yeah, yours is a bathtub, mine is a bucket, but we sent we literally shared that same exact sentiment in same the same thing. bathtub's a little more <laughs> PG for the kids. I should have used that, but sure. do you think about like the mental side of it then, like the recharging side, all of that? Because from the outside looking in, it's like, dude, this guy is just hammering. Like the bike races that you're traveling, you're on one peak and then the next, like as much of that part of your process, like acknowledging where you need to recharge, or do you think you're, you do it naturally? Like you naturally chase what recharges you, or is it a conscious effort? I think that's what I want to know. Cause me, I need to really make it a point to recharge, allow myself to decompress in certain ways in order to charge back up. But I have to be intentional about it where it, I get the impression that maybe your, your lifestyle that you choose to live, which is very hard earned is recharging you in itself. Like, how do you approach that? I think it's like, yeah, just like natural and like from like instinctual to a point, because sometimes that like balance or that, uh, calibration might not quite Mm. be (laughs) correct. And then you're like, Oh yeah, I'm doing okay. And then like, things happen that are like red flags and you're like oh no i need to take like three days where i just like do nothing now um so i guess a bit a bit of both okay does yours line up with Lindsay at all does uh no not really no <laughs> she seems to not regenerate and recover the way you do yeah no she definitely needs more like mellow time than i do and i don't know i like like doing stuff it makes me mm-hmm. usually kind of like excited about doing more stuff but she's like she's like oh i want to but like i guess doing stuff for her too like she's like i like i'm gonna go gardening and stuff which i'm like if i'm like 
really that exhausted i just need to sit for a little while <laughs> and she's like out like <laughs> digging and stuff um but yeah i think she's more intentional about it and more measured about that hmm. you talked about workouts and i don't want to read too far into yours but it made me think about a lot of questions we've seen or received from outsiders which is i've always done this this and this as my time trials or as my fitness checks Mm -hmm. and I've hit what I used to hit, and I'm not performing off of it. So did you have any of that in yours, or is it, or is, are you more along the lines of you've – because I think sometimes people choose the workout based on their fitness, what they used to have. Mm. Like when I was running this, I nailed those three <laughs> workouts. Right, now yeah. if I hit those three workouts, I'm going yeah. to run this. But it was a cart horse scenario. Right, exactly. Are you pretty dialed in with – I have a short, medium, long. I know I'm not going to see anything. Or do you, are you just hitting like metric based workouts? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, well, sometimes it's on the treadmill, which is like great because it's repeatable. And then sometimes it's on like the, the exact same hill. It's just like Strava, Strava segments. Yeah. Um, that I like do the same ones over and over. Um, so I'll like, I'll know. Usually it's like, somewhere in like the 10 to 30 minute range the hard to fake range <laughs> are most of the yeah are most of like where my tests happen because i don't like i think a good test could be like repeatability on like in that like two to five minute range um with like a very like like okay i'm gonna run this pace for like this amount of time for two minutes and then i'm gonna take exactly one minute rest and i'm gonna repeat that and if i can repeat that five times then that's better than four times or whatever um but i think that like just going out and blasting like a three minute one-off effort when you're fresh is like not really that indicative of it's like oh great max power for three minutes but it's like not really going to help you learn where your true fitness is at for a racing do you go to the well on your tests or do you try to hit them at the same repeatable exertion mm, i'd say like 99 percent to the well everything without kicking yeah everything without like absolutely yeah collapsing okay so what do you think the biggest issue you see with people i'm sure people are constantly sending you a question when you talk to people about i did this but i didn't how are people airing and how they pick what tests they're using to try to accurately depict their fitness um like what are the mistakes people are making is that what you're asking yeah for example there's someone that i know who likes to run a one mile time trial because it tells him where he's at right but you can run for example if i'm in shape for a mile or i'm in shape for a 50k I'm probably only going to have about a six second difference right. in my mile time trial. Totally. So how do you read into that? What does it really tell you? I think that the problem people make in training in general, not just with their tests, but it's the same, is that they don't apply enough specificity to like what they're actually training for. Because like, yeah, your ability to run like a mile on the flat all out isn't really indicative of like anything we do in OCR. It's like, most of the time it's going up and down mountains or hills or it's um, the ability to, you know, maybe run fatigued or it's the ability to do a lot of these other things um, that aren't just like flat, fast running. Um, yeah. It's actually funny that you mentioned that like Montana um, 
moment because I had like a, another Montana moment where I was like kind of laughing because we were like hanging around the NBC thing and they were doing filming and it was like everyone was like just chatting and like I think Faye was there and some other people and everyone was talking about their like track times they're like oh yeah I, I run 800 and this and I do 1600 and that and I and I was like oh yeah like I have no frigging clue because like <laughs> the day that we show up to a Spartan race and we jump onto a track and have to run four laps and then jump off and run up the mountain um, is the day that like, I'll start like <laughs> right. really caring about like those specific metrics because like obviously running is a huge part of OCR, but it's usually, or has been in the past, you know, technical running, hilly running, running that is, bad footing corners like everything and like that's the running i really like and that's the running that i think people need to like train and work on instead of just like oh i'm just gonna like blast these same repeats that i do every week so yeah like basically what you said with your your buddy doing his one mile repeat as his like check-in it's like like you said like it's like great like (laughs) that that difference in a few seconds isn't like that indicative maybe um doing a bunch of lunges and then doing a mile and repeating that three times would be like a better like <laughs> check-in um or something like that or um i do a lot of workouts that have like ups and flats and things like that and like um alternating and like kind of having that ability to like run fast after doing a hard uphill and i think that's like a really useful skill to have in like mountain running in ocr I like that. It's interesting. One of the first things that a decent high school cross country coach has their athletes do is continue their rep after the hill. Mm. Not just run up, walk down, run up, walk down. You can do that to work on just absolute power. Sure. But you got to be able to crest and reaccelerate and get back to work. And that's like cross country 101. And then we (laughs) graduate to later on running and we forget one of the first principles which is <laughs> right. you have to be able to run after the hill not just up it yeah correct. And so to hear you know world-class athletes focus on it but so do ninth grade boys and girls it's yeah it's kind of a good reminder the simple stuff still works yeah no kidding <laughs> well speaking of rip and repeats ryan um you may be one of the last people to ask about this because i think your training varies quite a bit just following you on strava and seeing the nuances of your training but we asked our last guest this he's a highly accomplished marathon athlete um and you know potentially he's very trials he's run 212 which is very fast and so his workouts are very geared towards the marathon nonetheless um i asked Mm -hmm. him if you could only have three if you could only have three for the rest of time that would move the needle the most. Three workouts? Right. And what we do is so varied. Three qualities. And this is such an unfair question to ask you because there's a million that you've done, I know. If you had to pick three, and you don't have to give away all the goods, but you had to pick three, that's it. What would they be? What would be like the general framework of those three workouts into perpetuity? You can run as much easy mileage as you want in between. Like, Do you have any that are like right. staples for you without giving away the farm, of course? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I really like 10 minute intervals, Hmm. um, like hills or flats. Uh, I really like over under kind of style intervals, like, um, 30 thirties or one minute on one minute off things like that, where you're like, uh, where you're going like above threshold and below threshold 
and like kind of like recovering, I guess, at those intensities. Would that be like, sorry to interrupt, would that be like, regardless if you're doing that on technical uphill terrain or flat, like you could translate that to any sort of terrain and then same with the 10 minute intervals, it'd be short rest, I assume, and geared towards the terrain you're preparing for. Yeah, exactly. And then like, if I could, if, if easy runs can include skill work, then I would do a third one of just being like, um, like three to four minute intervals of, uh, yeah, flats or hills, or even like going back and forth on the treadmill. That's like one of my favorite workouts right now is like doing three minutes, like, uh, super hard on the flat and then like going straight to like 30 or 40% and doing three minutes super hard there. And just like going back and forth with like, um, with some kind of like exercise between the two and just like basically no rest and just doing like, yeah, that for like 30, 40, 50 minutes. Those kind of smack me. Anytime I got to run hard and flat and hard uphill and go back and forth, something about that tips me over. I agree. That's a skill that needs to be worked. That's like an uphill flat Hobie tempo sort of in a, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for like, working your aerobic system like 10 minutes is kind of like pretty perfect and then everything else is just like and 3030s are kind of like aerobic and like lactate like dealing like are you talking the 3030 over under like yeah over threshold under threshold but not active rest exactly and then yeah and then like three or four minute vo2 max stuff yeah i think that kind of like covers it all (laughs) no it does Yes, you're, you're giving me a 10-minute interval or a three minutes flat, three minutes climb. But at the same time, you're extending that out to 50 minutes without any structured rest. And now you're talking about threshold work, but it's skill and terrain specific. Or So, like, really, it's you're covering the gamut is what I hear. But you're erring more on the side of longer stuff, I would say, it sounds like. is, And then you're using shorter stuff for, like, efficiency work or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And like if, and then like on easy runs, I would do skill work, skill work, which kind of like, I guess like maybe that's cheating as my fourth workout, but nope. yeah, I think like practicing, practicing skills is really important, whether it's like, yeah, technical running or just like running drills or things like that. All right. So that, that intrigues me there. Technical running. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that debate of, is it best practiced aerobically or using your race stride? Obviously, best case is that you do both. But what do you think if you had to dedicate only so much time of your week? Would you dedicate more to it on easy and call it skill or try to double up on, let's say, a 10-minute technical trail section? I would kind of, um, well, I think the best way to do it is to do it like fully rested um, for the downhills or technical and then only do it for like... I even doing it like over race pace in terms of speed, but like, because it's only maybe a minute or two long and it's downhill, like you're, it's like the output, like it's not like that hard. And then just, I just like walk back up super easy. It takes like 10 minutes to get back up and then you go down in a minute. Um, but that way, like you can really focus on like the, like, I guess the neural learning of how to run technical stuff instead of just blasting, like it's a skill to like, and I do these sometimes too, where I'm like doing the downhill fast, like fatigue up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, but I think you get more out of the downs when you're like fully rested, like hurry 80, <laughs> mm-hmm. just like go. And then rip in the downhill. Be perfect. Yeah. Like 105% faster than you can go. 
Interesting. Might not be a secret why Ryan defends fast. Would you say you do more of your downhill work rested or fatigued? Um, equal. I'd say about the same. Really? I think that would shock a lot of people that that you would take rested downhill work. That's not me debating it, but just I would imagine that most people would think I'm going to run them fatigued. I'm going to live in that state of fatigue. Right. But it might lead to junk reps. Totally. Impact, sure. Yeah. But. I think like it's learning a skill, right? And so it's like, if you want to learn calculus, you're not going to do it when your heart rate's at 165. You know, <laughs> if you're reading philosophy, you're not going to be doing burpees as you're reading philosophy. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think you learn better when you're like, <laughs> when you're able to give those resources to your brain that aren't like <laughs> giving all the resources to the rest of your body. I like that. And it is a skill. You look at the best downhill runners and they're doing it skillfully. Mm-hmm. They're not winning on engine. They happen to have great engines, but yeah, that's a skill. I like that. Yeah, so that's that's good food for thought. I remember, I'm sure it was Lindsay in a car or something, and they were they were videoing you running downhill on a cement downhill, and you were hitting some ridiculous pacing. And and the, this was years ago when I first got into the sport, and that always stuck with me. Like you were doing downhill reps on cement, probably to create damage and run fast, and it was working. But it always stuck with me. Um, question for you: Small pivot. I got a couple more. I want to make sure I wedge in here. I bitch and moan into perpetuity about living at sea level and having to go race at elevation. I will die on that rock that it is not a fair fight. Yet you, annoyingly, go out there and race well at altitude, and you've done it repeatedly, and you don't live at altitude. I understand sometimes you do acclimation phases and all of that. Um, Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why... You are able to live at sea-ish level and go race well at altitude, even if it's a quick trip out. Like, you call me a wuss, please. I'm curious. I think it's how you race, okay, and also how you're built too. Like, if you're if you're relying more on like, because I usually rely rely more on my aerobic system in races, so I try to like keep it very steady. Um, and then when you go to altitude, it becomes more important because like, if you, if you go, if you live at altitude, whatever, you can go like super hard and most people go out they run the first couple climbs, like almost VO2 max. And then they start kind of fading as the race goes on and stuff goes poorly. Whereas like, so if you're at altitude, I think at like 10,000 feet, you're losing 20% of your power. And if you're acclimated, you get back like 3% of your power. And so at like 6,000 feet, you're losing like 8%. And if you're acclimated, you get back like more than a half percent. But like, that's like peak power and like aerobic kind of like um, efficiency. But if you can just be like, oh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to sit back that percentage and a half from the people that are acclimated. And then I'm going to like use that, like, almost like control in order to like make up time on the downhills or on the obstacles or on the second half of the race, then you can actually like race smarter and then like cut that um, deficiency, I guess, down just in like how you race. Do you feel like you're able to reach No, That answer is very satisfying. Do you, do you feel like you're able to reach your potential at elevation because of that? Or do you still feel like an arm is tied behind your back and you perform well despite that? Um, I think I've had both occur. And the thing with altitude is like, 
I think every time you go, it kind of affects you slightly differently. And so like, sometimes it's like really awful and sometimes it's like not so bad. Um, and I think that, yeah, for me, it's like just learning how to, I guess, yeah, just do what you can with what you have when you're at altitude and you're at a disadvantage. So are you, are you just, are you constantly checking, checking the arm strap and just making sure you're staying under a rev limiter? Um, yeah, especially at the start. I assume that's probably the best way. Cause it's hard to feel it out, right? If you're going to altitude and you don't know what that feels like to work hard, you haven't been there recently. So mm-hmm. it's, you're just constantly checking and you have a, you have a number set for yourself and you just let the race, everybody does what they're going to do. And you just keep yourself in check early. And then what unfolds will unfold late. Is that how I'm understanding? You never leave that principle. Yeah. The first 20, 30, 40 minutes, you're just like keeping things in check. Um, and yeah, going over, going over that at altitude is like really bad. That's what happened to me at Leadville. I was staying with like the lead pack. There's like two big climbs and then there's like an hour flat and then there's like an hour long climb. Then you come back and do this, everything backwards. And up the first two big climbs, I was like with all the top guys, you know, sitting in like 12th place or something. And then on the second of the first two big climbs, I just like went too far i just like you know and then i literally the next hour and a half i was like limping like i could barely turn the pedals over and then it came back on and i had one of the fastest splits coming back um so but it was like a really good lesson in like how uh not to do it basically but in cycling like i kind of had to shoot for the fences because it's like okay like drafting is so huge in cycling if you lose that front group your chances of a top 10 are gone and a lot of people who, who beat me raced smarter, who just like rode the first two climbs like 5% easier and then like had a steady race. But I was like, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to just see what, what, what I can do. But yeah, that was like a really good. Uh, hmm. And that's like 10,000 to 12,000 feet. It's pretty high. <laughs> the line is very fine up there. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've never been near you mountain ability-wise. That's never been a thing but there have been several races where i can track you for a while never at altitude the disparity between us is much bigger at altitude some of that could just be that you're rising to the level of the people who are around you but there have been big races where i've felt like for i could go with ryan for a mile or two on these first couple climbs if i had to race him to the top and then stop my race and he would continue the rest of them sure but at altitude, I've never had that. Like, gun to my head, I couldn't get to the top of that first climb ahead of you, no matter mm-hmm. how long was going. So what – I understand you pace well, you do everything right, all that. But what is that differentiating factor between you and people like myself who just really eat it badly at altitude? Is it overall engine? It could just be, like, lung capacity or something or, yeah, overall engine. I don't know exactly, but it's probably – has some it's probably physio physiological in some way do you have metrics i measured my like lung volume and it was like 10.6 liters or something which is um like the highest recorded ever was like a like 11.8 so like i guess i have like quite large lungs and that probably helps at altitude (laughs) those little things at some point yeah. Well, yeah. And that was probably set by a seven foot tall dude who weighed 250. I think it was like a swimmer or something. Yeah. yeah. Somebody big and tall and yeah, just a bigger frame. <laughs> no, dude. 
Yeah. Big person. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it could be a lot of different factors. It could also be like, um, I think because my, I've never worked on like my running that much. I feel like it's almost an advantage in like mountain running because um, it's almost like I'm less able to like drive my aerobic system upwards. So then it just like kind of works out to being like more of like a, a well-paced effort. Whereas like someone like you Bracken who has like the ability and like the muscle memory to like really like drive your stride effectively, like you get to altitude and you can like go over that line easier or like you're on the flats and like you're able to like get more out of yourself in like the short time. Hmm. If that not heard that sense. It's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of like, a hairball hairbrain theory of mine <laughs> hairbrain theories. <laughs> it's like being bad is almost good <laughs> to a point <laughs> I, I think there is something to be said about novice runners with big engines do better in the mountains than on the flats right. because there's less degradation of their form if it's mm-hmm. not pristine to begin with and i'm not applying yeah. that to your form but people with classic running form don't climb super great right no yeah exactly it makes sense mm-hmm. I want to ask you another unfair question, Ryan. Um, I got two more major ones I want to get to. That Then I'm going to be very satisfied with this conversation. Um, okay. You, you, like I mentioned, your Stoke Birds chirp. I stole that from an athlete of mine. I like the term. Your Stoke Birds chirp for a lot of things other than OCR, biking. Uh, you gravel race. You uh, Have you ski mode, I guess? I don't know. Have you ski mode? Ski mode? Yeah. yeah. yeah Cross-country ski races, yeah. any of that. I'm going to ask you to do it, man. You got to pick one. You got to pick one into perpetuity in which you can race at a high level. I know it's unfair. Trail racing, to, I mean, anything you can think of, but I want you to be somewhat specific. And if you can't, you can't. Again, I understand it's unfair, but do you, do you know where your heart lies? And the beauty is it, it maybe doesn't in one place, but you got, if you had to pick one, could you? And if so, what would it be? I don't think I could. Really? No. I'm like going through all the like I'm like this one, but I mean, yeah, OCR is great. Like honestly, if if like OCR was like it like was like five or six years ago, that might be the answer. Like honestly, the course this weekend at Blue Mountain is going to be like kind of like that, just like gnarly, super steep, wet, like crazy, um, like those courses are so fun, but like Spartan has just like degraded the like extremeness of the courses um, over and over again. And so like, I think that's a big factor of it. I share that sentiment. I went off on that sentiment on our last episode of race brain (laughs) saying the exact same thing. Okay. No answer. If it was OCR of old, you might be able to lean that way, but now you can't. Yeah. What scares you the most? Like, what do you feel the most nervous before? Like, what racing or type of racing gets the anxiety meter just a little higher than other types for you? It used to be short OCR, I guess, because like the like a like a sprint or something. Um, and it might still actually be a, a sprint. They're terrible. <laughs> they are. I don't know. There's so much that can go wrong, and if you miss your spear, like it's like yeah, you're done. Like there's no coming back from it. Um, so that's like a bit anxiety in, inducing. Like in a beast, like you could have 
like if you're the best on the day and like you make a mistake like you can still win or like you can still podium things like that which i think is like cool um but ocr3 ocr wc3k isn't isn't like it i would have said like that would have been nerve-wracking before but like not anymore like i think they've made the obstacles easier at that race too and then it's just like if you fail an obstacle at like a mandatory obstacle completion race even if it's like it might cost you five seconds to like run back jump back on and do it so it's like not a big deal burpees are a larger stake in a short race in a sense you're saying that that's the yeah. much larger <laughs> yeah it reminds me bracken like the uh like the tra- you know that's how i felt like before every track race in college it'd be like i got a minute and 55 seconds to get it right or get it wrong and one slight error yeah. one boxing it was like it's sort of that that made me more nervous than yeah. anything it's kind of the the sprint version of totally. Spartan racing yeah it makes things gratifying but like yeah that feeling of coming through the first lap and like well, that was 55 5 shoot like that's done we should stop and then try it again <laughs> in 20 minutes kind of thing that, that's less it rewards all the other intangibles less right peg it nail it execute perfectly that's great but Mm -hmm. overcome adversity i think belongs in most athletic competitions yeah i like that (laughs) well i have more questions i thought you had one more yeah i I, I do have more questions but now i'm getting to like the let's wrap it up type questions so if you want to continue the uh the open-ended questions then no i'm happy i'm happy with where we went okay um I want to know about you and your wife. Um, and I want to know, <laughs> no, we're not getting that weird. Listen, we're not getting that weird. Um, uh, more like I think the mustache says it all. One, can you give us some insight on Lindsay and pseudo retirement and non-retirement and what her, I know we're not interviewing Lindsay, but um, you know, we like to poke fun very lovingly about the fact, like, yeah, some retirement, right? Like she's going out and kicking ass as much or more than she ever has. Is there any insight there on what's going on with her in relation to how she's looking at racing these days? Yeah. Um, well, basically we bought this like place and she wanted to turn it into a cafe and right now it's set up as an Airbnb and that was kind of the plan. And then we started like looking at like how much it was going to cost to like convert it into a cafe and then things like that and how much she would have to work to like make money. And then she's like, well, we could just like wait a year or two and like keep racing and do that then. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And she honestly just like really wanted to have like a go at sky racing, um, which has been like her focus this year. It worked and, out okay. Yeah, pretty good. And OCR has just kind of been like um, a backseat focus, I guess, for her this year. But she's still like, uh, yeah, showing up, kicking ass. You ever going to Sky Race? I did uh, meet the Minotaur this year, which was a lot of fun. Um, it's like, yeah, I think it's like, for me, I can't do like, I can't bike race at a high level OCR and Sky Race. Not only like from the physical side of things, but like, the uh just the, like the time the travel and the events and stuff um i'm more interested in like running sky race like routes but that are fkts or something like that i feel like if you're going to go sky race at the highest level like it's much easier to go from biking to ocr where you can make up with the intangibles obstacles carries others mistakes right. where like sky running nope like you either got to be at the pinnacle of your mountain running <laughs> or not right is that sort of the deal yeah exactly yeah um 
And then I want to ask you, sir, uh, the last, when did we talk to Lindsay? I don't know, a year and a half ago about as well, Bracken. Something like that. Something like that. And I said, Lindsay, you guys going to have kids? And she said, yeah. And she made it sound like it would be sooner rather than later. Like, are you going to progress from OCR into family life? Because she made it like known it was important to her. Um, Where does that fall in for you guys? Like, is that another thing that got kind of put off so we could pursue racing for a little longer? Or is that something that maybe taken into consideration as far as your pro careers in OCR sooner than later? Yeah, I mean, I think. I think it's something that's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And, like, I don't know the answer to that question. So, political <laughs> answer. Smart man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'm done now. I wish I, I did. Can... But, but, like, but I think, like, when we do have kids, that I'll probably, like, if we had, if, like, we found out that Lindsay was pregnant tomorrow, then I would still race and, like, do what I'm doing for at least a few more years. I wouldn't just be like, time to get an office job. So. That sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Office job? Or could you handle an office job? Uh, I mean, I did work an office job kind of like when I was getting into OCR and it was awful. So I yeah. don't know if I, I don't think I could. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you punched a clock? Worked at an hourly wage or a salary? Oh, I don't know. It's been many years. I mean, I've I've done like stuff, you know, just like like a drywall house or like, you know, people are like, Hey, can you do this? And I'll like, whatever, do like a job for like a week or something. But, um, no, I haven't like had like a formal job in where it's been like an hourly thing. I don't know, probably in like seven or eight years. Tough to go back. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Kirk, I know you got more. Are you happy, satisfied? Or are we going to so satisfied? so satisfied one more question kirk one more question you want you want if you, you want one it. more question <laughs> ryan's not ready to hang up all right you you seem like you're you said you had the time so I'll, I'll grant you one more oh god what a giver this guy is you give him a mustache and he certainly <laughs> can perform magic um well i get i think i think i the only other thing i just wanted to be respectful of your time but would just be um getting an understanding of how you're looking at the rest of this year next year like what you're going to focus on um, you ever going to put like a full emphasis on the series again, potentially, or like, um, just racing. Yeah. Just what's coming up. If we don't know about things, do you have your thought past to Abu Dhabi, any of that? Yeah. So I'm like kind of thinking I'm like right now trying to make that decision. Um, and I'm like a lot of different thoughts and ideas are kind of swirling around in my head, but I think that it might look something along the lines of like still doing Spartan racing, but like doing more, like, um, doing some more other stuff, doing some more like adventure type things, doing some, um, like FKTs and like long multi-day, um, things, big mountains, adventures, things like that, mixing that in and maybe having like less of a focus on like all out, like winning races, um, and just show up like like whatever just see what happens kind of thing it'd be nice to know the series for next year it would be it'd be nice to know is it gonna be <laughs> one thing or another yeah would that would that play a lot into it if you got a series that just spoke to you would you just say all right another year of this yeah maybe what would that look like how would you build the series honestly if spartan said something like we're gonna do 
Uh, well, first of all, I think the idea of like having like a Deca or Stadium and then all the way up through Ultra as the series, I think like that, that that idea is like really cool and something that's always excited me. I think if they did that, but then they did like um, for like the Super Beast and Ultra Beast, they did like a gnarly like lap format race where it was like three or four K laps with like, you know, one big climb, one crazy sandbag, 20 obstacles. And it was just like an insane, super obstacle heavy, fast paced, just like hard format. Um, I would be like, hell yeah. I mean, that sounds like so cool. And I think it'd also like be like the best obstacle racer would like win that series. Um, Cause it'd just be like such a range and it would just be, yeah, a lot of, a lot of obstacles. So gnarly Spartan cross with real exactly. carries. Yeah. Invert. Mm-hmm. For a guy who doesn't like lap races, it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Just don't make me do it for 24 hours. Oh, but, doing gotcha. it, <laughs> but doing it for like six or eight or like two or one hour. So what would you do if you had to design Spartan World 24-hour championships? If they're dead set on having it, how would you design it? I would just like, I guess it could be cool to have like an obstacle like course that's like maybe like three miles and then have like um alternate like mountain loops like maybe three different like four mile loops and every lap you like come in you do the obstacles and then you go out you do like this four mile loop come in you do the obstacles next next lap you go out and like you go up this other peak come back um i think that would like keep it interesting enough while still like making it logistically doable yeah pure running or would you put like some wall crawl and carries on the loops sure there could be like some easy to build things or does it not matter yeah i don't think it matters that much <laughs> that's like almost it's like almost what sweden was it's just like go up the mountain come back down do some obstacles that course was crazy it's one of those there, there are many things i watch and think you know someday that's when you looked at and thought <laughs> that looks really bad <laughs> That looks really miserable and tall, like in a cool way, but yeah. it's like Norseman kind of bad where yeah. you add that element to it and it came through. A lot of courses don't come through on video. That yeah. one came through. Like, I can't explain how steep the climb was, like going up. It was like, yeah, you were like basically crawling up the mountain, like 2,300 feet of climbing in like five miles every lap. <laughs> With like, uh a couple miles of flat at the base so like yeah <laughs> it was crazy. does spartan listen to you anymore nor care what ryan atkins thinks like with i mean we've talked about the idea of like uh let's say a deca a stadium a sprint super beast and ultra like gotta do at least five out of the six or would make really let's find out who's the jack of all mm-hmm. trades um I know they maybe used to consult with you or at least ask. I know Tough Mudder did maybe a little bit. Do you have any influence anymore in that way or is do they not care what Ryan Atkins thinks right now? I've had some conversations with Dave and Steve, but like, um, I think, honestly, I think Spartan's just trying to like keep their head above water at this point and they really don't care about the elite side of things. They're like, well, we're going to keep doing elite sport because like Joe wants us to, but we're just going to like try to turn a profit and if that means like making people run down sidewalks and jump over like pylons and that's and we can get ten thousand people on an event to do that then that's what we'll do so, yeah that's valid mm. 
which is it, it is like honestly it's like i don't know as much as it sucks it's it makes sense too yeah if it takes a year of that to get another 10 year sport i'll take it yeah sure if it's a year of that progresses to a worse year and a worse year and a worse year that sucks I think the idea of standardization in this dream of the Olympics is the worst thing that's happened to Spartan. In my opinion, compared to the Spartan yeah. of old, I think it was an understandable dream, but I think it sort of tarnished the the burliness that you speak of with the old unknowns. And I kind of wish that didn't happen. I, I don't know. I just, I keep asking, I just, I wish they would make the North American series have like, one-off elite races that had slight modifications that would make the racing more challenging. Um, yeah. And that's like my, like everybody's happy. You can still have the normal stuff. Like you don't even have to show on TV us like carrying 120 pounds of sand up the hill, but like just do that and then close the gate and everyone else goes the other way and away you go. But use the woods rather than the trail. Yeah, as soon as you say that, they're like, well, logistically, it's impossible. Like, Like, do you know how much extra man hours that requires? It's like, yeah, probably 10. (laughs) I was at 2012 Killington. It was a gnarly, through the woods, random stuff all over the place. And they had like 12 employees at the time. Yeah. You can do it. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Oh, well. Yep. Well, that's not the point of this. We could go a long time complaining about that, but we're not going to. We should not open that box. (laughs) Ryan, thank you very much. I appreciate it as always. Yeah, it's been really nice uh, nice talking to you guys. Good luck this weekend. Thanks. Rooting for you. Our team needs it. (laughs) Cheers. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.